Church Family's Pastor Brandon with another episode of Left Unsaid. This is the podcast or whatever you want to call it of post sermon material. The information and notes and stuff that I've processed, whoever's preaching has processed it, didn't get into the message on Sunday. It's food for thought, it's extra study. There's no um, polished delivery here, there's no rhyme or reason. Um, they may not even be a logical flow of all thoughts and points. This is just le- legitimately me looking at my notes and looking at the books I read, the commentaries, all the types of things, and just want to highlight additional stuff that I believe would be worthy of further study. Um, so with all that to say, uh, say we, um, and also just so you know, too, this is going to be completely unedited. So whatever I say <laughs> is and therefore will be forever published. So that's just the nature of this podcast. Um, So nonetheless, we started a series called Enjoying God. And the heartbeat behind this series is, is really asking the question, like, does God want us to enjoy him? Is it right and good to delight in God, to pursue pleasure in God? And, and we started kind of asking some of these questions of like, why isn't then like joy and delight and enjoyment, um, appear to be a value or something that is experienced within the local church. Uh, and that's like a, you know, a very general and broad statement, uh, very wide sweeping that can sound judgmental of many churches. And I'm not like saying that it's the case for every church. It's not that true, but it's just like, we really should be as believers, as followers of Jesus, because of the gospel, because our hearts have been awakened to him and our spirits are alive and we are one with him and his spirit dwells within us. Like, man, we really should be people who are just abounding in joy. We should be people who can rejoice always, who can at least work through a a logical faith process to see that he is still worthy to be praised no matter the circumstance. And then it starts to make sense when we look at scripture, why then God actually commands us or urges us to enjoy him, to delight ourselves in him. And and I know that can sound a little contradictory because we don't really enjoy being around people who want um, life and everything to be all about themselves. And we looked at the, the concept of like, it is right and good for God to find his highest enjoyment within himself. Because if he was to find enjoyment, greater enjoyments in something other than himself, then he would cease to be God. He wouldn't be the greatest thing ever. It would have to be whatever he created is greater than him, which is just a logical impossibility. So that means then the greatest gift that God could ever give us would be himself. And so therefore, like the Westminster Catechism Confession, like the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever is is a really beautiful um, notion. And it like starts to kind of like flow together of like, what does it mean to glorify the Lord? Could glorifying God and enjoying God be one in the same? And yes, absolutely. And they actually work with each other in significant ways. And John Piper, um, one of the um, pastors and scholars and theologians that um, I, I use um, as multiple references for him and to him, and same with C.S. Lewis, John Edwards, Sam Storms, Jack Deere, um, et cetera. He, he has his statements where I don't know if he's the founder or the, um, or maybe one who's coined it or at least became popular as he's been using it, Christian hedonism, 
where it's just like we like we're Christians, but we get to be hedonistic when it comes to enjoying God. Like we, like we are to satiate ourselves and like pursue pleasure, which is found in Him. And so His statement is is like God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him, and and I I love that because it absolutely makes total sense. Like the things that we enjoy in most, we glorify, like we, we make famous, we talk about, we share, we praise it, which is like the consummation of our enjoyment is by praising and rejoicing in. And so like taking the Westminster concept, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever is like one in the same. That's how it happens. And then taking John Piper's, um, or who I believe is John Piper's axiom of God is most glorified when we're most satisfied in him. And, and looking at that and saying, is that what our Christianity experience is like? Is that, is that how we are taught? Is that what we think about? Like, what is the concepts when we start to go, man, what, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Or what does it mean to be a Christian? Uh, more often than not, like the, the thought or the answer that one would get in that is, well, you got to do good. You got to be a good person, do good things, love your neighbor, all that kind of stuff. Not often would people say, man, being a Christian is enjoying him. And and I get to enjoy him by knowing him. And the more I know of him, the more I enjoy of him. And, the, and, and as I do this, I, I end up actually doing everything for the glory of God because um, I've, I'm finding my delight in him and he's giving me the desires of my heart. And and I have a joy now that is unshakable and nothing can take it. And so therefore I'm going to rejoice always. I'm going to give thanks in all things. But it starts in this like notion of, my goodness, I can enjoy him. And so I'm a Christian because Jesus's love moved towards me. And now I can love because he first loved us. Man, it's a beautiful concept. So that's what we're trying to dig into these three weeks of just going, why isn't this? A great why don't we talk about enjoying God as as what does it mean or what does it look like to be a Christ follower? Like knowing him, right? Like this this seems to be kind of like the the significant push or passion of the Apostle Paul, even. And and so that's kind of where we we started off in. So I'm gonna take a little sip of coffee right now. And I think I have a problem with coffee. It is legitimately 2.37 p.m. Wednesday afternoon. It's been a week and I'm drinking coffee at this time. I don't know if that's normal or right, but nonetheless. So I started out looking at a few passages of scripture and they kind of made me take a step back and ask myself as a pastor, do I think this way when I look at leading people? Or you can think about this for yourself as well, not so much as a pastor, but think about it in the realm of discipleship, because if you follow Jesus, we're all called to make disciples. And I look at 2 Corinthians chapter 124, when Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, and he's, he's trying to encourage them. They, this is a church that has, um, has become to not look upon Paul in a favorable light. They started to um, believe lies and accusations have been made about him. Um, they look at him as maybe not a great orator like some of the other people. And he's since he's supposed to be this apostle and this leader, he's suffering. And so therefore we think he's not an apostle because he's suffering and all these types of things. 
and and he's trying to appeal to their heart again of that like he is a legitimate apostle and here's his motif and motive for why he's pastoring them and why he cares for them and so in second corinthians 1 24 he says we not that we lord it over your faith but we work with you for your joy for you stand firm in your faith in in that little line we work with you for your joy like really kind of like grabbed me and so it's like when we think about disciple making and we think about helping people to meet know and follow jesus like if we were to just take our typical biblical study mindsets and we were to fill in a blank there but we work with you for your blank I'm probably willing to bet that 99% of us would not say joy. We would say faith, knowledge, behavior, et cetera, whatever. But Paul is understanding that he's like, hey, we're working with you for your joy. And he's making the connection that faith and joy seem to be connected to each other in a really significant way. So if I am trusting on Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, for being a new creation, well, that in itself leads to joy. And Jesus, in like, if you just even go through, like, let's just say John chapter 15, when he's talking about abiding in him, you know, I'm the, I'm the vine, you're the branches, abide in me, and fruit will produce, and I'll remain in you, and you'll produce much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And he starts to keep talking along that line. And he says, I've appointed you so that you would bear fruit, fruit that would last. And, and then he says this thing, it's like, and I'm telling you all of these things so that your joy may be complete. He, like, he even like, wants his joy to be our joy, to be perfected in joy. I mean, that, that is pretty defining. That's a pretty significant statement. And I think it's just one that we just kind of run roughshod over because I've, Maybe, maybe I like I started thinking is like, is it because one, we don't understand the pure essence and beauty of finding our full joy in God, but two, is it we just rush over those things? Maybe because we want to actually find joy and delight and ultimate satisfaction in other things yet? I'm not sure. So these questions really launched me into this Sunday. And we started out the message by looking at a simple fact that we were created. Um, with a design to pursue enjoyment, to pursue joy, to pursue satisfaction. And because God created us in his image and he created because he loves and he wants to share in the greatest thing, which is himself, we were then created to find our greatest joy and delight and satisfaction in him. Okay. And so that's a significant base. That's a foundation that we have to build off of because in order to understand the the nature of, of the gospel and, and why he did what he did and then understanding some of the blessings and the promises and the fruit that those blessings and promises ought to be cultivating, if we don't understand this basic premise, we we will misunderstand what it means to to follow God. And so from there, we started just to unpack a little bit of just going, okay, so if we're designed to pursue happiness, that means like Blaise Pascal, he writes that all men seek happiness. This is without exception. So whatever means they employ, they're all tending to this end, which means everything we do is in pursuit of some sort of delight, fulfillment, satisfaction, all that kind of stuff. So it's fair to make a simple axiom or principle that says we value most 
what we delight in most. And the things that bring us the greatest satisfaction, the greatest desire, enjoyment, have higher value in our lives. Jesus taught it this way, Matthew 6, 19 through 21, right? Like where your treasure is, that's where, or where your heart, <laughs> your treasure is where your heart is. <laughs> I should probably pull up the Bible and look at that. But it, it it's basically saying, it's like, if you want to know what it is that you value, look at your heart and look for the treasure that's there because that's going to be it. And in his contact, he's talking about money. You know, like you can't serve two masters. Your heart can't um, love two different masters. It will be devoted to one and, and not the other. And so that is a truth. That's it. That's a beautiful piece. So looking at all of those things, we started to understand we were created then for the glory of his praise, right? His glorious grace. We're created for the praise of his glorious grace, Ephesians 1, 6. And if we were created in his image, we are to find our ultimate satisfaction in him. And as we do that, we glorify him. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. Okay. So with those things, what I wanted to do this time is just kind of like unpack um, some of the additional passages and things that I started to wrestle with and think through that just kind of like made me go, hmm, some of these things are really interesting. How, how do we come to understand uh, what the Bible has to say about joy? So I'm just going to rattle off a bunch of verses and I want to encourage you to um, take some notes on that or maybe just even take some of these verses and go back and study them yourself because these are quite important for us just to understand because when you start to look at scripture, it it's nearly impossible to realize that scripture talks a lot about enjoying God and finding our joy in him and fullness of joy in his presence, right? Like that's Psalm 16, 11, which we're going to come back into and dig into a little bit. But so for instance, and these are not um, all the verses, but these are a, a good sampling of some of the verses that we will see. The Bible commands us to pursue joy in God. Um, Psalm 37, verse 4, we're told to delight yourself or delight ourselves in the Lord, and he'll give us the desires of our heart, um, which will then ultimately be the desire to know him and to have him more, so we delight in him. Psalm 32, 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice and shout for joy. Psalm 67, 4, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Um, Psalm 100, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And then there's verses that talk about rejoicing um, and praising God in the midst of suffering and persecution. Um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 through 12, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. First Peter 4, 12 through 13, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though some of the strange happened, but rejoice insofar as you share in the sufferings of Christ. Romans 12 and verse 15, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, constant in prayer, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. I mean, over and over and over, we, we just see verses constantly calling us out to um, praise him. It, it's, it's a command, which is 
pretty significant and pretty fascinating to me. Okay. And so we need to look at some of these things and just start asking ourselves like, okay, how then do I understand it? If it is in fact a command, like, does that feel wrong? Is that fair for God to command us? Right? Like, is that right of him to do that? If so, why? If not, why not? Um, and all that kind of stuff. So it's pretty interesting. It, it, it we're commanded to pursue joy. Um, the scriptures speak this tension between desires that are forbidden and desires that are commanded to have that are positive, that are like encouraged, right? Like if you go to, um, let's just say some of the 10 commandments, do not covet, like don't, don't move or act on that desire, <laughs> right? So that's fascinating, you know, but first Peter two, two, here's another desire that we are commanded to pursue like newborn babies desire pure milk of the word. Um, we are exhorted to um, be content. So that's a desire to go after, be content with what you have. First um, Peter 1.22, we are to love earnestly, like go after that desire, love and desire and earnest emotion or earnest action is from the heart. Hope is commanded. We're, uh, we are to fear the Lord and respect and awe. Um, we're let the peace rule in our hearts, Colossians 3, Romans 12, like don't be slothful or lazy in zeal or passion, but be fervent, passionate in spirit, serving the Lord. I mean, it's just interesting how there's like certain emotions and certain uh, like desires that we are exhorted to not do, and yet there are desires, things that we're exhorted to do. So it's fascinating. It's like going, okay, how do we do this? Like how, how in our sinful flesh, those of us who are, or not those of us, all of us are sinful and we have fallen short of the glory of God and we all are spiritually dead. We don't look for God. We don't search for God. Um, like there's none, like Romans 3, you know, quoting the Psalms, like there's no one who searches after God. There's no one who looks. Like we can't make ourselves alive in Christ. We can't save ourselves. There's not, in fact, it, it even goes to show, like we can't even make ourselves joyful in God. We can't even love God unless God first, right? That's always going to be the thing, God first. And so we need to be born again in order to have an awakening or um, a resurrection in our spirit to be a new creation, to be able to be joyful in the Lord, right? To, to, to love him. That's the only way it's possible to do these things. And, and that is like a fulfillment of our intended creation and purpose is to rejoice and delight and pursue God. So with that all being said, I also find it pretty fascinating that um, our desires and longings are truly never like fully and completely satiated. You know, they're, they're always going to be wanting more. And the question is, is like, in what? Like in what will truly satisfy and what will truly quench our thirst and, and fill our hunger or satisfy our hunger, you know, and that's, that's a beautiful thing when Jesus starts talking about how he's the bread of life and, 
and how he is the living water. And if we come to him and we trust in him and trust on him, like we won't hunger. We will find the desire of our hearts as we delight in him. And it, as we drink in his word and enjoy his presence and and share his goodness to other people, like we'll start to get, uh, discover that we aren't thirsty anymore. In other words, like we are satisfied. He quenches our thirst as we delight in him and as he gives us the desire of our hearts. So it's a beautiful picture. Like, so there's a, an essence of, could it, okay, let me, let me back up a little bit. Could it be that if we are truly saved, like maybe just use the phrase saving faith. If, if we, um, have a saving faith through grace, right? Could it be said that we know and have tasted and seen and know exactly where um, true satisfaction lies and we will fight for it? Even if we backslide or wander away for a bit or nibble on things that we think are going to be more pleasurable than God and look at certain fruit and be like, you know what? That fruit is pleasing and looks good. So I'm going to eat that and, and, and place and try to find my true desire and joy in this or that thing outside of God. Like that will happen on, on some points in, in our lives, but yet God's grace is stronger still. And, and the spirit convicts us and re realigns us. So I, I'm willing to bet that like saving faith really is this deep knowing and deep understanding that only coming to Jesus and trusting on Jesus is where the thirst and hunger of our desires is going to be fully and finally satisfied. Like it's going to be him. And so that's why, could it be that when Paul says to the church in Corinth, this is why we work for you, for your joy. And is that maybe then like a better understanding of discipleship as we help other people to meet, know, and follow him, that the more they come to know Jesus, they become captivated by Jesus and the things of this world become strangely dim as we continue to look to Jesus and feast on Jesus and drink from his um, well that just runs deep and forever. Like, I believe so. This is why we got to understand, man, God wants us to enjoy him because he knows he gets more glory when we are more satisfied in him. That's why I love the way John Piper talks about that, the way he, he parses that stuff out. It is absolutely beautiful. So it's like we start to understand how people can enjoy or not enjoy, but like can endure suffering and yet rejoice because no matter what this world does to us or no matter how broken our physical bodies become nothing can take away nothing can steal the new life that we have now in jesus nothing can interrupt the relationship the restored relationship we have with god nothing absolutely nothing outside of our own decisions and so like that that is beautiful it's it's not this mirage it's not the carrot dangling in front of us that's always this like you're never quite going to get it type of thing it's like no he truly gave his life he died on the cross so that we could have his life he would take our sins and we would get his life he who knew no sin became sin for us and 
when he resurrected from the dead, he conquered death in the grave, and now we have the ability to r resurrect with him in newness of life. And when he ascended, he sent the Spirit down to dwell within our hearts, and the Spirit of God is interceding on our behalf with groans and, and utterances that are like beyond our comprehension. Like he even appeals to us, God making his appeal through the Apostle Paul, saying, Hey, listen, like nothing could ever separate you from my love, nothing, nothing. And so like our role as a disciple is not just meant to be this intellectual pursuit. Disciple making and following after Jesus and learning how to be a Christian isn't just academia. Like we have to understand that. It is surely stuff happens in the mind, 100%. Faith comes from hearing and hearing comes from the word of God. But if it's all just knowledge based and it doesn't get into our heart, and if we like neglect or underwrite and just like push aside the emotive and the emotional um, experience, we miss out on what this joy is. Like God created us to love him with all of our hearts, which means we are in his image and God feels, God emotes, and that is beautiful and pleasing and right. And so should we, and we do, but because of sin, sin takes good things and twists it and distorts it. And now we have um, a strong desire for lesser things, but this is the point. It can't just sit in the head. Discipleship is helping people to know him, to know him. Like, not just, oh yeah, I read this about the story and I know this about God. And I remember sharing on Sunday just a, an illustration of like, man, like if I've never experienced a sunset and, and all I get in my experience or understanding of sunsets is what I research on Wikipedia or in just books and I can see pictures of it and I can read about it and I can understand how light is reflecting off of this at the right angle and the spin, all the kind of stuff. I can learn everything about it. That will not move my heart. Like it might make me long for the real thing, right? Like I might start to hope to be able to experience a sunset at some point in my life, but just learning about it and just seeing like pictures that have been taken of it do not satisfy the desires that my heart is longing for. My heart longs to experience the actual sunset. My, my heart longs to experience standing on a cliff with the ocean to my right. And I can hear the waves crashing along the cliffs and I can hear seagulls in there. And as the air is just getting cooler and cooler, the light of the sun is becoming magnificent as it's now morphing from yellow to orange to purple to all sorts of different colors and just watching that ball of fire fade. There is something completely transcendent and different from a real life experience than just reading it on paper. So we thank the Lord that the Bible is alive and active. So when we do study scripture, like it, it is alive, it reads our hearts. Like in the power of experience is going to come from trust and faith and praying for the Holy Spirit to open our eyes in order to understand it. Because revelation and any kind of understanding of who he is has to come from the Holy Spirit. Like we are fully dependent upon him for that. And so we come to scripture in that posture of humility and we want to know him more.
not just intellectually, but emotionally. We want to, to understand relationship. We want to know his whys. We want to know how he sees us. We want to know what breaks his heart. We want to know like what he weeps over. Like we want to know all the little things and all the little details, just like we like lovers do. Like they want to know all the little things about each other's life. Know him more. And this is the beauty. The more we know, the more we enjoy. And the more we enjoy, the more we know. And it's just this beautiful cycle that continues to happen. And since God is God, that means he's infinite. There's no end to knowing him. And so heaven is, is many things, but one of the probably supreme things is the ability to continue to know him and to enjoy him more and more and more in a very unhindered way with no competing desires, no temptation, no sin, no broken motives, none of that. It's just pure. It's, it's man, my heart longs for that. In this, in this strain of thought, this is now why I start to understand a little bit more of why Paul says what he says in Philippians chapter 3. This is probably one of the passages that challenges me every single time I read it because it really does make me start thinking about the things that I value, the things I pursue, the things that I believe give me worth, all that kind of stuff. And if we go to um, Philippians 3, verse 7, <laughs> everything that was a gain to me, Right, Everything that I thought was advantageous for me, that would build a great resume, that I thought would give me value and worth in people's eyes, that would make me successful in life, everything that was a gain, I have considered to be a loss because of Jesus. Right, So here's, here's, here's the thing. The word considered is like a conscious decision. Right. Like I've, I've looked it into, I looked into it. I've tasted and seen and I experienced and I considered everything that I once thought was a gain, everything that I thought was worth pursuing and treasuring and valuing above all else. I have considered now to be a loss. Like I don't need it. Like it, you, it, it is a credit. <laughs> like you, it's a, it's a, not, not a credit. I'm not even going to go down to County World. Like, I don't know why I was even trying to bother with that kind of imagery because it doesn't make sense in my own head. Anywho, again, like I said, unedited. It's a loss. It, it matters not. Take it away. I don't care. Even though maybe I've wasted effort, time, energy, relationship, money into whatever it is, it's a loss. I consider then verse eight, everything, everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, do you think Paul is just talking about the, the concept of I've learned about Jesus just through books and pictures in a book, and that is the surpassing value? Or is there something deeply experiential, deeply moving, where it comes in through the ears, penetrates the mind, moves into the heart, and an explosion of love and joy just overruns him? Do you think maybe that's the surpassing value? 
of knowing Jesus? Like, how else do you, like, truly, like, friends, think about this. The things that we struggle with and the things that we so desperately crave in this world to have, the things that we covet, the things that make us envious, the things that we judge in other people, right? Like those things that we consider as gains in our life. How can you move that desire for that thing over to Jesus? Like if Jesus was more than enough already, like if he was a greater desire, like would that not already be appealing and persuasive to you to move there? And even if, if, if not, like how do you come to know if he is? And even if you do intellectually know, is that still enough to actually see all the other things as a loss to, to put them behind you, to be willing to, give them all up and chalk them up as a, just a futile waste of time, not needed. It's going to take a lot more than just an intellectual pursuit. In fact, Jesus even warned us about this when he was calling out the Pharisees, you know, like in one aspect, um, you know, people were like, he, uh, I'm going to be just kind of quoting off the top of my head, like where they're doing religious acts and duties and things. And he says, but their hearts are far from me. And what is Jesus talking about there? Why, why didn't he say their minds are far from me? Right? Or their, right? Like, why did he say heart? Well, that's because there's something deeper. It's the seat of love. It's where a delight and enjoyment is. And we value most what we enjoy most. And the most should be God. He says in another part of scripture, calling out to the Pharisees, you know, or other people, I think he just used it as an illustration where people come to me like, Lord, Lord, did we not do this in your name? And Jesus said, depart from me. I never knew you. Like, what does that mean? Like, doesn't God know all people? Like, yes. So is there a different meaning in the word? No. Like I never knew you. Yes. It means you didn't trust me for salvation. You didn't receive the gift of grace. You were never reconciled and restored into a relationship. Your greatest enjoyment wasn't found in me. I never knew you, right? And, and maybe th this is just, a, just another statement that Jesus made to the Pharisees that I think a lot of times we like don't take to heart where Jesus was saying to them saying, you guys diligently study the scriptures, but you missed me. Right. Like, it, I mean, obviously talking now about the Messiah, but I think there's also a significant aspect of like, we can study scripture and we can look at all of this and we can miss him. Like we can be religious. Like we don't need the Holy spirit and salvation to do religious deeds. Like we can do that, but to have a relationship with God, we can't do that on our own. We have to receive the gift of salvation and grace and his mercy and, and to be justified and, and to move into this beautiful process of sanctification until we are made whole and complete in his image and before him and forever. Like this is it. In fact, like, come on, come on, come on, come on. Like, think about this for a second. If like, we, if we don't like truly desire 
God, like, if he is not like the aching and longing of our hearts. Now, granted, listen, grace abounds because I think on this side of eternity, because we're still sinful and there's still a war being raged between our flesh and spirit, like we will never fully desire and pursue him the way he's worth, the way he's due on this side. Like we will we will have moments and and glimpses of pure desire towards him and then we'll be tempted and drawn away by other things and that's why it's a fight it's a struggle here but we get these glimpses okay and so like if 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 even in that all of that we don't have this posture that Paul has like i know that nothing is of greater value than jesus and Lord, I will confess the fact that I act as if some things are of greater value than you, but my soul that you made alive knows that's not true, but my flesh gets the best of me, right? Like that, that's a great, that's a healthy place to be in. It's a place of humility, <laughs> like, and, and in, even in this posture of going like, if, if I don't feel that, and if I'm not broken over that he's not my greatest joy, even though it's what I want. Like if we don't even recognize inside of our hearts, that is want to know Jesus more like this, like, yes, I want to be in his presence. And yes, I want to experience these pleasures forevermore at his right hand. Yes. I want to rejoice. Yes. I want to be glad in my weakness. Yes. All of these things. If we don't even can express that here, what makes us think like, seriously, think about this. What makes us think that we would even like heaven? For real. Like, if you don't want him now, if you don't want to enjoy him now, if that's not even an ache in your heart to fight for that kind of joy, like, I think C.S. Lewis says his best. is like, you, you're never going to want heaven anyways. And that's why you're choosing not to go there because you don't really want to enjoy him. You still want your rebellious things and you want to still be the center of everything like I, that to me is a pretty significant challenge of going okay like yes heaven is not just fire insurance but that is a really cold and insulting way of looking at the sacrifice that jesus made on our behalf like oh he just did this so we can have a backup plan of an insurance card so i can live the way i want to live and do what i want to do so that way when i die at least i'm not going to go to hell and suffer forever i'll go to heaven um no no see heaven is literally basking in his glory and in his light if you look at the last chapter of revelation and there would be no need for the sun or the moon because he himself is light and we get to see him face to face and we get to experience him and understand like man if there is no longing in your heart now for that your heaven might be not an ideal spot for you <laughs> and uh, i'm being tongue and cheeky here okay a little bit i hope you understand what i'm trying to say and so back now to philippians chapter 3 and wrapping up this thought Everything that was a gain, everything that I thought was worth pursuing and having and going for me is now a loss. More than that, everything, everything, I consider everything to be a loss in view. This is the only way. You want to know what, what is the best way to battle sin? Show your heart a greater desire. Not become more disciplined. No. 
sin is ultimately going to be rooted in the heart. It's, it's, it's what we desire. It's what we enjoy. Temptation moves deep something inside of our longings and desires before we act. That's what James 1 says, the temptation, you know, then it conceives and it, it gives birth to sin, right? Like it's, so it starts in the seat of desire. Like that's what got Adam and Eve in the garden. They saw the fruit. They, they saw it and what they saw, it was pleasing and good for the eye and for making one wise. Like that's like us seeing the new Toyota Tundra, not that I want a Toyota Tundra, which I really, really do, and looking at it and be like, it's pleasing for the eye, and I'm going to give all that I can to get that thing, no matter what. I'm going to, it's like, it starts there. And that's why I love what he says. It's a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus. He's not just arbitrarily saying everything is a loss, that's impossible to do. It's only possible to truly mean that everything is a loss if you're looking at Jesus and you're starting to comprehend just a little that the, the ability to know him brings about greater joy and surpasses all things. Like that's the only way to do it. There's a, a passage just popped in my head. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually, I'm going to turn there and just read it to actually see if it connects with what my brain is thinking. A little bit in Colossians 2 and 3. Uh, you know what? Nah, I'm not going to go there. It doesn't really quite work, but it kind of works. Um, but not, not as much in being the thought I'm going with. So back to verse 8 of chapter 3. Consider everything to be a loss only in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Friends, I like, I would encourage you just to seriously just sit on that. The, the, like, if you go back to Matthew six, when Jesus was talking about the treasures and the heart, in fact, I'm just going to pull it, pull it up there. He starts talking about if the, the eye is good. Uh, one second, one second. Verse 19 of Matthew chapter 6, just keep in mind the word view, okay? What, what our hearts are looking at through our, the eyes of our hearts, okay? The scriptures talk about the eyes of our heart needing to be enlightened, okay? So it's like not just the intellectual pursuit. There's a deeper eyes that see certain things. Like it's just different. It's in the seat of longing. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break and steal. But store up yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and rather, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay? So that's, that's what we're understanding. We're supposed to treasure Jesus above all else so that way our heart is for him. Now, look at this. Remember, in view of, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? And in one way of understanding it, like the eye, um, a generous eye, <laughs> kind of looking at that, it's like, but it's really the, what are you looking at? Like, what, what has your heart? 
What are you focusing on? What are you concentrating on? And what your eyes, the eyes of your heart are focusing on is what you will end up pursuing. And you're never going to consider anything of this world of lesser value unless you see Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes that see, enlighten the eyes of our heart to see you, Jesus. Amen. Right? Like we need to see him. So if you like, I remember that being taught that once, like, man, if, if in your battle of sin, if it's just like, you're just trying to be more disciplined and trying to go about it the right way. It's like, yes, you need to discipline, but what you really need to do is, is show your heart a greater desire. And that greater desire is only Jesus. Okay. That is honestly the best way I can tell you how to battle sin is to show your heart a greater desire. Okay. Look verse continue on now, uh, because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things like because of him. This, he's not saying this like, oh man, because of Jesus, I had to give up all of this stuff. Like I can't drink. I can't have sex outside of marriage. I, I can't do this, but like how we tend to think of like a lot of people think of Christianity, it's old, archaic. It's just robbing us of joy and fun and all the kind of things. He's like, no, no, no. Like, because of him, I've suffered a loss of all these things. And, and, and I consider them dung, which is a really nice way of just saying the ever so fun word in Greek, skubalon, which literally means shit. So, and consider them dung so that I might gain Christ. Like, I'm willing to suffer the loss of all things. I am no longer going to pursue them, value them, give them higher position in my heart because they are rubbish. They are excrement. That's their top value because I'm going to do this because I want to gain him. I want to know him more and I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, meaning like I'm not going to depend upon my goodness to get me things like my righteousness is his righteousness. I am going to be weak. So that way I can take on his strength and his grace. Like I can't, he can like he offers us his righteousness and we take on his righteousness by faith. I love this. Like, man, no, I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which only leads to guilt because I don't know about you, but I can never be good enough. And the harder I try, the harder I fall. I want to have a righteousness, not of my own, but from the one that is through faith in Jesus, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him. Like this is my goal in life is to know him and and know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, which is because continual process of denying self carrying your cross. And it's another way of saying to consider all things a loss and as rubbish. I don't need them. I don't want them. I want this being conformed to his death, assuming that somehow I'll reach the resurrection from the dead. And now I love grace. Thank you, Paul, for saying this. Not that I've already reached the goal or been made perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I've been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Like, I'm going to fight for this. It's worth my effort to fight. It's worth the struggle. It's worth waging war against the flesh through, through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's greater than everything. Even though I will slip and I'll fall, 
uh, nope, this is what I'm going to go after because he's taken hold of me. He's reached down and saved me. He came from heaven to earth to die for me. He went to heaven to uh, intercede at the right hand of the Father, and he sent his spirit for me, right? Like there's so many pieces here of what it means to be taken hold of by Christ Jesus. And, and thank you, Paul. Again, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. <laughs> like the stuff that I've stumbled over were my failures and my mistakes and, and desires that shifted away from Jesus and started to see other things as a gain. No, I'm forgetting what's behind. And I'm going to reach forward to what is ahead. I'm going to pursue as my goal, the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. This is the right way to think. So in summary, in summary, we were created to find our greatest delight and enjoyment in God. God created us because God is love. Love creates and love wants us to love naturally desires to share what it loves. And so God finds the greatest enjoyment in himself so loved that he created us to share in this enjoyment. And so he created us for his glory and he is most glorified as we are most satisfied in him. And the more we glorify him, the more we're satisfied, the more we're satisfied, the more we glorify. It's a beautiful thing. Our hearts will not rest. I believe this is Augustine until it finds its rest in, in thee. Like we were created for him. Our hearts, our longings, our desires, our hungers, our thirsts can only truly and finally be satisfied in him and nothing else besides him. So that way it does make sense for him to command us to delight in him, to rejoice because it's the right thing to do and it's the best thing for us. So maybe a good challenge to ask yourself as we wrap up and you continue to chew on this is just go, why is it that I struggle to enjoy God? Maybe it was the way you were taught that um, religion is a serious thing. You should be scared of God. It's all about works and you need to do X, Y, and Z in order to be good and right. And that's the only way God will actually shine upon you as if you're a good person. You know, maybe you've never tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Maybe you've never um, engaged in a relationship with Jesus and you never saw, whole, saw what grace is. Maybe you believe that this joy and this goodness isn't for you because of how bad you are. Or maybe you just think being a religious person in Bible study is sufficient. And maybe you're afraid of emotions because you don't know how to trust your heart. Or maybe there's a deep battle of sin or temptation that makes you a little bit nervous. I, I don't know. But here's the thing. Psalm 16, 11, man, Psalm 16, 11 is, is just very, very clear. God has made known to us the path of life. And it leads to him. And that's why he says, in your presence, God, there is fullness of joy. And the path to life is the path that can only come through Jesus. Where we hear the gospel and we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord. 
we trust on him for the forgiveness of our sins, for the rebellion, for knowing um, that we've chased and pursued lesser things and we've hurt people, we've hurt ourselves in those pursuits. We've wasted money and time in those pursuits. There's longings and we know them. There's deep regrets and we know them. And he died for us because that was our punishment because of this rebellion against him. And evil is ultimately, and I, I can't remember which um, author said this, but evil is really, um, a, a good definition of evil is desiring anything else besides God, you know, and pursuing that. And so we've committed evil. Like Jeremiah too says that we've committed two evils. We've forgotten him and built our own cisterns, you know, that can't hold water. That That's really it. And we all know this because we've all experienced it. And we all still, and even in our posture right now, we can look at areas of unsatisfied desires and longings that lead to frustrations and bitterness and resentment. And we want to be right, but we recognize that we can't be perfect. We will always fall short. There's, there's never, you know, people would be like, well, you just got to be a good person to get to heaven. Then you ask the question, well, how good is good enough? And how do you know? Well, you don't, you just, you just, you just be good. Well, that's a life of anxiety. I don't know about you, but that makes me very anxious. It makes me just go, well, forget it then. Because I'm never going to be probably good enough. I mean, that's the thing. We don't have to be good enough because Jesus was more than enough. He came and died. In a, he lived a sinless life. That makes him the perfect sacrifice. His death, his broken body, and his shed blood covers the sin of the world. And it makes a way we get, we can receive life and forgiveness by confessing our sin and confessing our loyalty and allegiance to his Lordship. His resurrection ensures that we will have a living hope forever live with him to be in his presence forever. And we get to taste that now. We, our spirits become alive. We are born again, new creations. And we get to enjoy him now. We, we see dimly as in a mirror, right? Like we are being transformed into his image more and more and more sanctified. And we get to reflect his beauty and declare his glory to other people. And we get to help other people to meet, know, and follow Jesus. And, and the more we do that, the more we glorify him, the more we are satisfied in him. Man, we, we need to remember all of this stuff. And maybe this next Sunday, or maybe even today, you just find yourself in a posture of joy. Just choose to praise him. Sometimes even our hearts deceive us and our hearts don't want to praise him or don't want to rejoice because our flesh is being stubborn. Sometimes in the Psalms, you will see David or whoever the author is saying, soul, why are you so downcast within me? Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And we see it in, uh, I want to say it's Hebrews where we are exhorted to bring a sacrifice of praise. Like even, even if we don't feel like it, we're told to bring it as a sacrifice because he's forever worthy of it. And I don't know about you, but some of the times when I am entrenched in bitterness, discontentment, envy, um, resentment, or guilt, choosing to praise and choosing to give thanks and choosing to rejoice begins to melt the hard wax that was formed around my heart. It's a beautiful thing. So church, thank you, um, or not just church, anybody who's listening to this, but I want to encourage you 
um, listen to the message and just come alongside, come join um, this conversation here and just do additional study. And if you ever want, you can email me just your thoughts and um, questions or whatnot in this series at brandon.ziski at austinoakschurch.org. Um, but till next time, um, be blessed, have a great week, and look to Jesus in view of his surpassing his surpassing value the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. Look to him. Look to him. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. All right. Blessings. Take care.